0: thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org.
1: Enjoy the podcast. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Bet UK is empowering the everyday wins, cheeky grins, <laughs> big conversations, budding aspirations, our goal goal. To make ed tech accessible and teaching exceptional join the global education community on the 24th to the 26th of january 2024 as we make education better together tick it off your christmas list today get your free ticket before the 13th of december deadline Visit www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. Yeah, good
0: evening, everybody. Um, This is me and this is The Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. And we are going to be talking for the next uh, 90 minutes about artificial intelligence in education. Um, I've got a number of people joining me to discuss this. Um, The reason I've sort of picked this particular topic is because it interests me. Um, We've all seen the exponential rise in the use of artificial intelligence um, in the last year. So I thought this would be a timely uh, place for us to reflect on how it's currently being used and how it might be used in the next year or two, um, because so far um, it's been very much ChatGPT uh, started it, and I guess many of the apps that have come out in the last year have been. Uh, and I've got I've got experts who will know far more than me on this, but uh, they they've been driven by that engine. So it'll be interesting to see what comes about in the next year because if you look at the the change and the the pace of change in this area it's been it's been incredible so it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to explore that tonight and also we're gonna explore how not only how teachers are using but how the apps they're using, the programs they're using, the techniques they're using, the scripts they're using, the prompts they're using, what you know, how they're getting the best out of it. Um, I've got a number of panelists on with me this evening um, I've got Paul Matthews uh, with me Paul if you want to say hi to everybody
2: Well good day everyone yes it's Paul Matthews here it's funny it's the evening show over there but I'm down here in Tasmania which is right on the southern end of Australia and for me man I gotta tell you it's 6 30 in the morning so it's much better that you're getting me now than in the evening because I'm worth my mind is worth about three dollars in the evening. So. I'm a morning person, and it's good to be here with you guys this morning.
0: Yeah, happy days, Paul. Um, thanks very much for for giving up a little bit of time um, to talk about AI. Um, teacher uh, Paul is a former teacher and very much an AI enthusiast, um, so that's really exciting that we've, we've got Paul to feed into the conversation. We've also got Mark, who is an English teacher in Germany. Mark, can you hear me okay? I can, yeah. Hopefully you can hear me as well. Can hear you loud and clear. Thanks very much again. Um, for giving up. I'm guessing it's 8.30pm in Germany now. Maybe. It is, yeah. Lovely. Yeah, Perfect time. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and we've also got Janine, who is a part-time teacher um, and also an AI enthusiast. Janine, are you with us? Oh, can't hear Janine at the moment. Um, we'll try and get Janine um, in a minute, but we can't yeah. hear her at the moment. Um, but we've definitely got Paul and, and Mark with us. So, Um, Let's sort of kick off the the conversation and and also I've got Alessandro who will hopefully also be joining us as well. I've just invited him in as well. So we've got a number of people and obviously if anybody else during the course of this conversation wants to get involved, uh, maybe something piques your interest as we talk about this and you want to get involved, then absolutely hit the request button in the bottom left and have your say. That's what we're all about here. So we're very much about teachers having a voice and it would be excellent to hear from as many teachers as possible in the show this evening. Um, Just before we crack on, it would probably be a very good time for me to thank our sponsor tonight, which is John Cat Educational. Um, If you haven't heard of John Cat. Hi
3: guys, if you can hear me, um, I'm not hearing anything from you. So I think I'm going to have to go and resettle somewhere else. It's Janine and I'm just hearing... Tiny little
4: bits of uh No problem, Janine, speaking, If you just.
0: Nothing much else. No problem. If you just exit the space and then come back in, and hopefully we can we can sort that out. Um, so, as I was saying, a, a massive thanks to John Cat for supporting the show tonight. Um, they are a book publisher. If you haven't heard of them, um, they provide books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. And if you want, you can get 20% off any book in John Cat by using the code TTR 2324 And when you go to your basket, on the John Catt website, which is johncattbookshop.com. You can order any book on there, get 20% off courtesy of us, um, and happy reading over Christmas. Um, so uh, let's crack on with this. Um, Paul, I'll start with you, um, if you wouldn't mind. And I want to ask you, Paul, just to start with, what is, for, for anybody who hasn't been with us for the last year, what, what is
2: artificial intelligence? That's a good question, Tom, a really good question, and one to which I guess there's many, many species of answer. So if, uh, and one minor correction before we crack on, I'm still a teacher. I'm still teaching, oh, okay. uh, I, te- I teach in a secondary school down here in,
4: in oh, Hobart, Tasmania. That's, hey,
2: mate, that's just fine. It's all good. So uh, what, what is AI? That's a great question. And rather than answering it technically, I think I'd answer it metaphorically because if we're all teachers here and we're all looking at how we can refine our practice and help our students with artificial intelligence. So to answer the question metaphorically, I'd say uh, artificial intelligence is an assistant. You treat it like an assistant. Teachers are professionals and we need to maintain our professionalism. AI is not here to take over our job or do our job for us. I personally, when I think about AI, I treat it as someone who is freshly graduated, graduated out of uni who I need to give very, very detailed instructions to if I'm going to get anything worthwhile out of them. But it's effectively another set of hands. It's really good at creating resources and doing the busy work of being a teacher. So um, not the most technical answer, Tom, but hopefully a helpful metaphor that people can, you know, get some handholds on as they conceive of artificial intelligence.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Does the definition of artificial intelligence change depending on who you ask?
2: Oh, most certainly it's one of those things there's a lot of conjecture in this space and there's some people who will say well look artificial intelligence it's not a technology it's a social contract as uh, uh, a social construct other people will go mm-hmm. along and um, propose their various different definitions so there's a, a list of definitions as long as your arm tom but the thing about it is that's why i prefer a simple metaphor i treat artificial intelligence whether i'm using chat gpt or image generation software any of the large language models, I effectively treat it as um, a, a very keen and willing, yet not that competent assistant, um, to which mm. I'm giving as clear directions as I can, and which is able to help me out with the administration that I'll often attends teaching.
0: Yeah, got you, got you. Um, Mark, I, I wondered, can you tell me from your perspective, your, well, first of all, Mark, because I was Very rude with Paul there, and I completely didn't know he was still teaching. Paul, you need to add that to your Twitter bio, because you don't have it on there. You don't have that you're still teaching. Put it on there. Put it on there. Um, Mark, anyway, what's for you, can you just tell me really briefly what exactly you do um, out there in Germany? I believe you're an English teacher, but just just introduce yourself and tell us.
5: Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Um, So I was an English and media teacher in the UK, uh, and then I've moved out to Germany. My wife lives in Germany. So after sort of six or seven years, we thought it'd be a good idea to um, to try and reunite. Um, and I teach here, I teach English and I've just been given ethics as well. Um, so that for for me at this particular school um, is teaching both first language English students, um, particularly focusing on literature. So we teach Shakespeare, we teach Dickens, we teach all the normal kind of staid <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's also sort of teaching children who are um, second language or potentially third language English speakers. So they may not necessarily uh, be able to access some of the texts. They have to be somewhat more modern. Um, yes. So 20th century. And um, for a lot of them, we we have a kind of a process which is about comprehension and about production that they, that they focus on. Whereas with the with the, um, the, the, the we've got L1, so first language speakers, it's much more about analysis and and digging into things like context and and authorial intent and so on. Um, and that's from over here. It's it, again, I'm in, in a European school rather than a German school, which are very different. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah, we have like secondary one through secondary seven, um, and that's and that's it. So that's kind of. Uh, in fact, I've taught ages between ten and eighteen um in the you know in that in this time here. So I've been here now. Um, this is my second year. So I've been just over a year. Brilliant.
0: And why why are you interested in artificial
5: intelligence, Mark? What why does it interest you in the field of education? <laughs> it's a really good question because I think that on one hand, as a professional, you want to stay on top of um all the latest kind of information and trends. But as a as a generally a kind of tech nerd, um as someone who's interested in in new and shiny things, it's it's just interesting and you know as someone who's then found out a little bit about it, you tinker around with it on different things and you kind of decide whether it works for you um I think the 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 shiny new appeal of it is actually um starting to lose its sheen um, mm. and and I think that whilst i I, I get you know Paul's enthusiasm um, and I think his analogy was was really good I would say my my own analogy is more like the transition of in the humankind from sewing by hand to sewing machines you know it's oh that's great that could save me a load of time it's like well it it could if you are very good at it and yeah you always have to have two things which is the the, it relies on the skill of the human input and a very you know from a rough to a clear idea of what the output a successful output should be Um, and I think with AI the what we found in in both the the staff room and the classroom is that the input that you put into it really relies on on clarity uh, and really relies on you not only assuming that they're perhaps an inexperienced first jobber, but they're an actual idiot and they have no concept of many things that you take for granted. So you do have to be very, very um, precise at times, but in ways that you probably didn't expect, which is almost exactly the same as teaching, when you can give a classroom... Uh, what you think is a relatively straightforward task, and some of them will co- will produce things that you have no concept of how they got there. Um, and that, I think, is the issue with AI is that, well, one of, of several issues I would I would have with it. But, yeah, being able to be a good uh, seamstress relies on you being able to sew by hand or sew by machine. Uh, and the same, I think, is to be a good teacher using AI. You need to assume that if it doesn't work, you could still do it yourself to a point.
0: Well, it's interesting because I put out a question on my Twitter a few days ago. It said, "Have you used AI tools? Um, if so, how significant a difference has it made to you?" And most of the comments were very, very positive. And we will explore, you know, how you've used it and so on. But in a minute. But one of the, what one of the sort of more critical themes emerging was it took me as long to create the prompts as it did to actually get the answers that was one criticism and another criticism was that the answers that it gives you as much as they look good on face value when you actually look at the sort of finer details for example in the area of lesson planning for example um you know some people were saying it's a bit too predictable and generic if you like now obviously it's in my opinion it's probably going to be that isn't it because it's it's culminating information from lots of different sources and giving you an answer i can't see how it would be i mean I'm, i'll ask you i'll ask paul, paul probably know this but you know it's how how unique can ai be and how much uh, sort of creativity within it can, can exist you know I'm, I'm sure it's going to advance in ways that we can't even imagine right now and um, paul do you have any thoughts on those
2: two criticisms that i saw Sure, I do, Tom. And let me say this before I get onto that. I love what Mark said about uh, enjoying artificial intelligence. He's into tech, he's into uh, the modern developments and, and where sort of this space is going. I'd also just say, however, if you're a teacher out there and you're not into tech, and that was very much me for a, a long time, I wouldn't be excited about artificial intelligence because of the tech, but I would get excited about it Um, not because you love tech, but because you love your students and you love your colleagues. I really do think that this technology, if wisely used, offers us huge benefits in the classroom and in the staff room. I think many of the pain points that we're facing in both of those areas can actually be remedied by artificial intelligence. And And we can double click on that more later. As to the output, Tom, it's one of those classic, I mean, any maths teacher in the chat, they'll understand the idea of Angle in equals angle out. So if you're getting a boring generic output, well, just between us, it's because you're putting in boring generic prompts. The angle Mm. in equals the angle out, right? So Mm. artificial intelligence, um, people who say, I'm getting rubbish out of there. I go, yeah, well, you probably are getting rubbish out. Uh, It's actually because you're putting rubbish in. So it (laughs) takes a while to learn how to engage with these models and to use Mark's sewing analogy I can imagine someone who'd been stitching by hand their whole life their first run through with a sewing machine they go this is rubbish it took me 100% or 110% of the time to actually get the same thing done and you go yeah well that is true but that's because you're you're right at the bad end of the learning curve as soon as you actually get some basic uh, AI literacy or in that metaphor as soon as you actually learn to work the machine competently well hmm. you're actually going to see that time diminish yes it takes a while to write a prompt but as teachers we're doing the same six or seven things over and over and over again yeah once you've got that prompt put it in your back pocket it's yours and it will serve you well
0: but how do you how do you it's almost like what you're sort of saying there is you need to almost train yourself in using ai platforms or or engines you need to sort Uh, of do you know what i mean yes yeah yeah so i'm I'm saying how i'm saying you know maybe there's well i'm sure there will be people out there particularly teachers who are saying i don't have time to sort of sit there and 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 imagine these prompts and create these interesting prompts to give ai all the information it would need to create something good you know but i think it's a really interesting point because could you argue that at the moment as it stands because it's so new the The way in which it's being used is quite sort of give me a list of bullet points, create a quiz, you know, very sort of stuff that's very helpful, but not sort of what
2: you're getting at. Yeah, I think most of the people who are using artificial intelligence are novices. And that's okay because because we can actually prompt it with human language and we don't have to learn code, we can actually learn fairly quickly. But but this is... This is what i would say um it does take some time to learn it and it takes brain space as well and you're actually going to have to sacrifice those two things for a short period of time if you want to learn how to use ai but can i just say to every educator out there it is absolutely worth it it is a small sacrifice for a huge long-term gain again in our jobs tom we're not doing anything that is novel or new often we're doing the same six or seven tasks Over and over and over and over. So that's why I'd say uh, learn how to do those things. And I I think you'll find that a little bit of time invested, uh, it's like investing a little bit of money. You'll get some good compound interest and you will actually end up seeing some great rewards for that investment.
0: Can I ask you, Paul, and I'm going to come to Mark in a minute, I'm going to ask you both actually starting with Mark in a minute, how you've used it, you know, in the last, I don't know, six months or whatever. But Paul, I, I want to ask you then, can you give me, if I was to say, right, um, either in a general sense or a more specific sense, give me an example of a bad prompt and a good prompt, but on the same thing. Like, sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's let's say I'm trying to think. of imagine I don't know how to frame it. Maybe you can come up with an example. Give me give me an example of a bad prompt and a good prompt,
2: but on the same thing. I can absolutely do that. Yeah, that's no trouble at all. Well, look, a lot of people when they approach artificial intelligence. <laughs> They don't think of it as, uh, as something that they have to give very much detail to. People almost subconsciously think of it as a guess what's in my head machine. And that's their downfall. They say, uh, they give it a bad prompt, for example, write me a lesson on the causes of World War I. Okay, yeah. so I teach year nine history in Australia. That's what we cover in year nine history. Write me a lesson on this. Now, actually, there's not a lot of texture or color or flavor to that prompt. But obviously, the the educator in their mind, they've been writing lesson plans. They've probably done it the same way for 15 years. So they've got a mental schema for what a lesson plan is. Of course, they haven't shared it with the AI, and they get very, very disappointed when the artificial intelligence doesn't read their mind. So (laughs) instead instead of saying, okay, write me a lesson plan, and then throwing our toys out of the pram and, and railing on AI when it doesn't read our brains... Um, I suggest a three-step approach to prompting and, and Mark might have something more sophisticated. This is the simplest way, but I've found in a sort of 80-20 sort of uh, uh, idea, this will get you most of the way. I, I simply give the artificial intelligence a role, then I give it a task, and then I give it a format. So the role, I might say, you'll often start that by saying mm-hmm. act that. So I might prime the artificial intelligence, um, by going, I want you to act as a year nine history teacher, all right? Okay, it's, uh, okay. It's, it's trained to do any number of a billion different things, so we need to get it in the right headspace. I'd say, right, yeah. and uh, this would all be in one prompt role, act as a year nine history teacher task, um, write me a lesson plan investigating three key causes of World War I and format, how do I want that? Um, I might say, I want a, a bullet point, And I want it in the five E's lesson plan, or I want it in the five minute lesson plan structure. I'm actually giving it the structure that I want. So if you can give it a role, a task and a format, you are going to be streets ahead of where you would have been. And you're actually not asking it just to read your mind.
0: Does it, does it, you know, when you give it the role, does it, you know, that's an interesting one because that's not something I've done up to this point. So, you know, why Why does that help? I mean, surely the AI would, if you said create, a, you know, if you started with create a lesson plan, does the AI not know that it's acting as a teacher just based on that?
2: Yeah, look, that's a good question. And the metaphor I use, I recently did some training with the Australian Boarding Schools Association and I got them. I said, guys, I want you to write a paragraph on basketball. And they go, oh, hang on. Okay. And some people went and did it. Um, And there was a crazy range in the results. And the fact of the matter was, people weren't sure whether they were writing a newspaper article, whether they were writing it for their class, whether they were writing a how-to guide, or whether they were trying to write a review of a game. They could have been doing anything. Because I gave them no context, I got a wide array of input with a wide array of quality. And the large language model is the same. Yes, it might clue into the fact that you're a teacher, If you're asking for a lesson plan, but the more specificity, just like if I said, write me um, a how to guide on basketball, you're going to write a much clearer paragraph than if I just said, write me a paragraph with an unspecified audience or an unspecified goal. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, it does. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it it makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's interesting just to explore that there's almost something simple about it, but it's almost so simple that you could miss it when and it's i guess it's also the expectation we have of ai isn't it it's it's like oh ai sh- like you said ai should be able to read what i want or it can but you still need to prompt it you know well anyway mark i want to ask you mark what wh- how have you used ai in your you're an english teacher how have you used it in the last 6 months what have been the key successes and maybe the key things where you thought i thought it might be able to do that and it hasn't or bits where you've gone yep. Ooh, that was a bit of a waste of
5: time and um, that's interesting yeah i think uh, what sorry just i wanted before everyone else kind of moves on i want to think, as I thought was interesting with, with paul's prompting yeah it was. That i he, he very nicely complimented me um, i haven't got anything more sophisticated but what i would um add and it comes to lesson planning in general is what is the objective? So, And I know that this obviously would relate to in the case of the basketball article with the audience, but really being clear what you're trying to achieve. So if you're saying to the to the AI, for example, as I have, I am writing 20 reports uh, for my class. I need 20 different um, uh, 150 character sentences that focus on a different positive. Can you generate these for me in bullet point fashion, right? So that, that was a prompt I used, roughly speaking, to come up with um, some templates. So we we create um, quite short reports for our students. Um, so you have to be very uh, conservative with your with your language. So I wanted to have some options, but I can put into our system these these um, kind of templates, if you like. And then when it comes to a particular student, you do a little drop down, and it pre-populates their name and what you've put in the template rather than having to re- write everything out again now for some people they might make five templates and think that's great and away they go but personally i think that um firstly you, you, with that scenario with this of report writing you have to have um space to be per- to personalize it to their individual needs or their successes and, and challenges um, but you also know for a fact that the kids look at their reports and share them with each other so mm. if you are too prescriptive in the, in the sense of, well, I've got, yeah. t- I've got, you know, 10, that's going to cause you problems. For me, what I've been doing is using these these prompts to create the report and then going, hmm, OK, well, I feel like I've used this similarly before. You know, because I'm an English teacher, I should be able to use some synonyms here. So let me change some of the words up. Um, and, and for me, that's been really, really uh successful in terms of saving time making me really have to think about the student rather than the language because i know the language is fine um i just need to think about is it the best form of that language um and so for reporting has been really good and i think that there are lots of, of different platforms out there and they seem in my you know my kind of cursory research they seem to be really geared towards the kind of maths focused um right and wrong outputs if you like and. Even with with English, if, let's say, because I'm going to be the kind of, um, I suppose the devil's advocate here, if I was going to create an um, assessment or a piece of work that I would say to the students, you need to write X, Y, and Z, and I then create a, a mark scheme specific to that, and I'd have to load it into uh, a particular platform. So, and again, I'm being very vague here because I, I wouldn't know which particular one of the 60 or so education uh, AI products to choose for this but if i had to input a, a a schema and then mark them against it and it generates you know some feedback it's actually extraordinarily complicated um and it's probably ai isn't able to do that well yet so i would never ever use it for assessment for example because mm-hmm. it also doesn't take into account some of the things that we're taught um as teachers to really think about which is individual student scenarios so if you've got a student who uh, found the task to be pretty easy and they didn't really try their hardest and got a pretty you know got a, got a kind of mid, mid-range grade you might be quite cynical and say well actually i think you could do better and you kind of let yourself down even though it's you know, not bad on the flip side a student who got a lower grade but had worked really hard because they found it a bit of a challenge you would use more encouraging language and I, I feel like that isn't the AI uh, as a, as a industry isn't really capable of doing that because it completely relies on what's in the databases it, it connects the data to and what's been put there by someone else. So um, I don't know if you want me to tell you the, the, the Twitter story, so I'll save that maybe for later yeah, on. No, the, well, go on. No, go on. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, at our, at our school students are, uh, have been in the past encouraged and now they're kind of permitted to allow Uh, to use devices in the classroom um, for particular tasks based on the teacher's power to decide whether they should or shouldn't. Okay. So just to paint the picture. My, my, one of my classes um, was tasked with, they've been studying um, great expectations and they were tasked with writing about a theme in their, in the kind of practice essay for the European back exams, which come up at the end of the year. Um, The students were allowed to use the, the, AI. We've encouraged them to use technology so they've got a, a shared database of useful quotes across the different texts we've been studying so they can all dip into that spreadsheet and use resources. Okay, so just to paint a brief picture, one of my students decided that they would use uh, an AI platform to try and get some quotes. I said, then that's fine. I have no problem with you using that to help you find it rather than thumbing through the book and kind of hoping or looking through your notes to find something you might have highlighted. So I'm fine with that. But again, this goes back to the point Paul's making about the prompts. So what came back um, and what I've posted on my on the Twitter thread was a a quote that I, I really didn't recognise. So I, I looked it up. I thought, you know, it's just good sense to check what quotes they're using. And mm-hmm. it didn't come from Great Expectations. It came from, I think it was a tale of two cities. Um, and I said, OK, well, that's weird. And they also haven't analysed it very well, but but fine. So then I, I highlighted it on their work and said, this isn't from Great Expectations about 3 lines later they posted another they put into their their essay another quote i said well it's just sensible to check it so i thought let me check this and uh, the the output from the ai was when i said where's this quote from They said oh it's from frankenstein said, oh that's unusual i don't remember that okay well what what part of frankenstein and i did a bit of digging through you know into a, a conversation if you like with the ai which is yeah quite unusual uh, <laughs> some of the questions i asked were things like are you sure? You know, because it said to me, this is a, a distinctive quote said by Victor Frankenstein in chapter 24 to Captain Walton, to which I was like, well, I mean, I've read Frankenstein a couple of times. I'm teaching it next semester. I better know my stuff. So I went to the Gutenberg project, which is, as many of you your listeners will know, is a great resource for um, you know, open source text. Yeah. And I searched for that particular quote and it doesn't exist. So I went back to the AI platform and said, okay, what's the next line? I said, oh, it's it's this. So okay, well, that that stacks up with with the chapter I think you're talking about. Can you tell me the full text of this, you know, chapter 24 in Frankenstein? He said, ah, no, I can't because it's rights restricted and, you know, you're not allowed to share copyright material, which obviously it's not. So I said, who owns the copyright? And it said, oh, Frankenstein, written in 1818 by Mary Shelley, is out of copyright and therefore uh, is free to access. I said, well, then therefore you can give me the whole chapter. But it said, fair enough, gave me <laughs> almost the whole chapter. And it stopped at a point and I cross referenced it with the Gutenberg project. And it was uh, correct. But I said, okay, what's the, n-? I thought maybe the chapter numbering was wrong. And that's why this quote didn't show up. So I said, okay, well, what's the next line? And it told me, I said, okay, so that was correct. And then I basically tried to, I said to it, what was the source of this quote? Then the one, the original quote I was looking at, where did it come from? And it told me again, it was from Frankenstein. And I said, okay, well, which which version of Frankenstein, which edition? Because perhaps the one on the Gutenberg project isn't the same as another one. And this platform couldn't tell me with any veracity where that data came from, who had had cross-referenced it, who had even input it, okay, when it had last been updated, those kind of things. And it turns out not only did, did this platform get the wrong quote with a, a quote that doesn't exist, it attributed it to a book in which the quote doesn't appear. It attributed attributed it to the wrong chapter. When I challenged it, it gave me a completely different chapter. It was as if, and this, I'd say it was with all honesty, it was as if an extraordinarily confident but completely, I don't know, unintelligent person was giving you the answers. And what's most frightening is not that, let's say, as a as a uh, an industry we're leaning into technology too much and losing the art of of you know planning lessons or, or what have you or you know maybe the kids are, are becoming less intelligent because they're using ai instead of thinking for themselves the problem we have is they're being fed false information provably false information that i think is a significant problem that there is no immediate solution to and i think if anybody um is encouraging kids to use this technology, which I don't see as necessarily a problem. It's it's similar, I think, to teach them how to use it, how to wield a knife. You're saying, okay, it can be useful and it's a tool, but in the wrong hands, things go wrong. Much like Twitter, much like other social media platforms, where the wrong behavior leads to wrong outcomes. Um, but is
0: that mark more an exception within that? And and also the other thing, and I'll ask yourself and Paul and also I've got it's fantastic got Alessandro who's a primary school year five teacher who's also going to be coming on in fact before I ask you that massive shout out to everyone who's been listening in we've got Mark Anderson, um, Scott, uh, we've got Nathan, Paul, Ben, Peter, uh, Stephen, Kirk, Sam, uh, Gavin, Caleb, Jacob, Sam and lots of other people um, so thank you very much for spending a bit of time with us um, tonight on this An absolutely fascinating conversation but Mark is the question part a is that an exception and question part b and this is the bit where i want to ask you and paul this is there's lots of different platforms out there ttr certainly doesn't um, promote any one platform but to name some of the ones that were mentioned in a thread to me you've got things like teach me ai you've got magic school ai um paul has his own platform which i should have mentioned in the introduction called my teacher aid Um, there's lots of uh, ChatGPT, obviously, ChatGPT Pro. Um, God, there's loads. There's tons of them. Um, Loads of these platforms, and loads of them were actually mentioned in this thread um, in the replies. My question is, is A, is the story you've just said an exception, and B, does ChatGPT, or, for example, the Bing version, are those engines powering all of these apps? Is it the same AI engine? Because, these new apps couldn't all create their own AI. Um, Paul, do yeah. you want to answer that?
1: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. BetUK UK is empowering the everyday wins. Cheeky grins. <laughs> Big conversations. Budding aspirations. Our goal? To make edtech accessible and teaching exceptional. Join the global education community on the 24th to the 26th of January 2024 as we make education better together. Ticket off your Christmas list today. Get your free ticket before the 13th of December deadline. Visit www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor registration
0: uh, I'll, I'll ask both. I mean, Mark, do you want to answer that?
5: Mark or Paul? Well, I was just going to say about the uh, being the exception. Um, and the, the crazy thing is one another student in the same class um, had prepared at home for an exam, came in and wrote into the exam three quotes from uh, supposedly from Great Expectations, which one was uh, correct, one was completely inaccurate and attributed to the wrong character. And one was from Christmas Carol. And I confronted him and said, and, you know, very much, you know, not someone to, To give him a a bollocking over it. It was very much a, you know, let's have a discussion and figure out why you did this. I said, look, I'll bet you I can predict Do you put into this chat GPT in this scenario, you put, give me a quote about ambition by Dickens, Mm. which is essentially saying, okay, can you write something that sounds like Charles Dickens or has been written? It doesn't have any specificity to it and i think that's the that's what students do is they look for shortcuts yeah. which this yeah. is one the easiest one being don't do your homework right but the easiest one the second easiest is let someone else do it for me and that's how they're approaching this is is i need somebody else to do it for me um, and what yeah what i've found is that that is the case and, and teachers can't uh, teachers can quite quickly at the moment pick up when it's not their words because they know the students and they go well that's You would never use this word, or you don't know how to spell this word. It seems a bit of a stretch. And whilst on one hand you might say, well, that's not really supporting those kids who maybe are working really hard and have suddenly seen some improvement and you're just going, no, 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 this is rubbish. Or it's, it's actually making teachers have to be even more um, cognizant of what they're marking because it's so much more difficult. And I think you talked about Tom, about the, um, the different uh, engines relying on one another and, you know, the, the data that exists in the internet has been put by people. And so a lot of that data is hidden behind paywalls or is concealed. And so yeah. it can, all these, these platforms can really access certain parts of the, of the internet and therefore certain parts of the truth. Um, so yeah, there is a, a big concern about, you know, I would say things like, like that, you know, you look at the art that's generated by AI and all you need to look at the hands and the hands are almost always wrong in some way whereas if you try it with writing that's not as as difficult because the spelling is pretty much always on point the it's you know the grammar is normally pretty good the kind of the, the the framework the scaffolding is good it's just there's no soul to it and there's no you know there's no tone of voice from that 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 writer so i i tried um i tried myself writing a poem um, and you'd throw things like, like part of the, the prompt discussion might be things like, okay, make it more poetic. Okay, make it, uh, include it with uh, more syllables per line. Or you might say something like, I want to see more, more visual imagery. And what it comes back is, is almost like, um, I don't know if you ever remember that when you're a kid, the little, the small Lego sets you could buy that would make a car and a plane and that was it. Right. It's like that. So you go, okay, this is a, a functional poem is it actually any good it's all right you wouldn't use it to teach children you wouldn't necessarily try and get it published but it's a poem and the fact that it's recognizably that for some students that's enough and for us as teachers you know we can't necessarily always accept good enough we have to accept your best efforts and i think you know with these these ai platforms it's actually encouraging students to produce an an adequate response rather than their actual authentic best response god that's interesting
0: isn't it um paul can i ask you because you're still you said you're still teaching there i think it's history that you're teaching there um and and just in general can you tell when something's been created by ai <laughs> do you yeah, know what i mean
2: 100 100 yeah that's that's easy as it's one of the easiest things what, why is that easy why is that easy? well it's funny because About five or six months ago, a lot of educators and commentators were running around lighting their hair on fire going, guys, our AI plagiarism detectors don't work. And they really don't work, okay? They just give you a percentage that something was likely generated by AI. I've had AI-generated content that I have made, um, and it's come back as 0% AI-generated when I use a plagiarism checker. Likewise, uh, I've written something and tried to emulate an AI in my writing, try and make it uh, boring, generic, etc., And it's come back as saying it's fully AI generated. So the AI plagiarism detectors don't work. Now, why is that not really a problem? It's not a problem because if you're an educator worth your salt, you actually do know your students. You know your students. You're in the classroom with them multiple times a week. You know what they're capable of. And you just need to put your thinking hat on as you're doing your marking. You go, well, look, is this actually something that I think this person could write? And you might want to use a plagiarism checker, but let me say... I mean, is it a bit like mummy
0: or daddy helping them with the homework in 1999? Is it a bit like that? Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, it's a bit like that. It just doesn't have the very fortunate um, side effect of, you know, actually getting you at a kitchen table with your mum or dad. You can still do this while you're lonely on your laptop. But (laughs) what what I would say, Tom, is that you can use a plagiarism detector if you want, if you're an educator, if you're really not sure... What that's good for, and it's only good for one thing, it's good for a conversation starter. Okay, it's not the be all and end all. It's not definitive proof. What is it then? Well, it's, it's a good conversation starter. I had one of these conversations with a student just yesterday. I said, hey, mate, um, look, thanks for handing in your essay. I was really happy with um, the work I saw you getting done in class. Just a few quick questions. I've Put it in this um, this app that tells me whether or not something's likely to be AI generated. It's come up with a pretty high score. Look, I just wondered, um, would you be able to perhaps you could ask them to do a number of things. You could ask them to explain words that they've used and why they chose those words. Even something as simple, Tom Thomas saying, "Can you read that aloud for me?" It's amazing. I mean, I had a very sad case actually. It's a little bit funny, but mostly sad where that actually brought a student to tears because they read it and they're looking at this thing going, I barely recognize you, man. Like, I've got no idea what this is. So they've obviously just ripped it straight out of GPT. So it's it's actually something um, if you suspect a Mm -hmm. student is using AI, that's something you want to not necessarily manage punitively immediately. You want to manage that relation relationally. So let that be um, a conversation you have with that student because there are some very simple ways, you know, get, get them to write something similar. Get them to handwrite something and see if it's alike at
0: all. Get them but, to read Paul, it out loud. They, there could be an argument, though, to say that if they, were, if they were smart enough, they could put into the chat GPT, write this in the style of a 12-year-old or whatever they, they thought their reading age might be. And then that would be much harder than for you to see through it if, for example, it was a poem.
2: That's true. That can certainly be done. And that sort of takes a couple of shades of the generic nature of most output out. But again, if you know your students well, I mean, you're with them multiple times a week. You see the work that they're doing in their books. I've I've never uh, and I might someone might have pulled the wool over my eyes. But I've, I have never had much issue spotting work that is radically inconsistent with the rest of the work that I see in class when it comes up in an assignment and looks AI generated. So yes, there's smart ways and, and dumb ways to use AI and some of our students are even approaching smart use, which is a little bit sad because it's actually, um, it's a tax that the unintelligent students or the students who haven't invested time in using AI pay, isn't it? If, if the smart students are able to use it really well, and the students who need more help academically in the first place don't have the intellectual chops to be able to use AI well, 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 then they're the ones getting busted. Mm -hmm. I I should say, and this is the last thing I'll say on this, I think there are some great upsides to getting students to use AI, but in reality, Tom, most of the time in my class, especially this year with the advent of AI, I've really encouraged people to put their laptops um, away. Hey, put them on the charge at the back of the room. We're going to be using pen and paper today because there is a huge issue. And we can talk about this later. John Hattie and Dylan William did a uh, published a paper recently about some of the threats of artificial intelligence. One of the big threats is if you don't have solidified, crystallized skills in something, going straight to AI to do that thing is going to make you much, much worse at it. It's going to stunt your growth. Of course, as teachers, it's great to use it because we already know how to write sentences and let- lesson plans and all the rest of it. It's actually going to make us more effective for our students who are still learning to do the very things they want AI to do. Well, if they're learning on AI already, they're actually going to take a pretty big haircut on their education. It's not going to be good for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, really fascinating. Um, Alessandro, welcome. Good evening to you. Good evening. Good evening listen you're a primary school teacher um year five tell, tell me tell me how you've been using AI in the last sort of six months and whether you think it's significantly changed what you've done in a positive
3: way I just want to say I agree with everything Mark and Paul have said. I pretty much agree with everything um, they've been saying, like the good and the bad. It's been fantastic, haven't yeah. we? We don't want to, we don't
0: want to sort of blow their collective trumpets, but they have been very good.
3: Yeah, no. I, um, for me, I've used it generally quite wide ranging. I've done it for reports. I've done it for um, sort of generating model texts in English writing. Um, I found that it works best, you know, um, for. Writing to persuade, so I did some great persuasive speeches and generating great sort of models, like sort of command sentences, rhetorical questions, that sort of thing. Um, sort of writing non-chronological reports, just sort of generating this sort of generic sort of style um, model text. that then I really do heavily edit. Um, and sort of go over. It's just like I think it was uh, Paul. Uh, I think Mark or Paul said the assistant. It's just it's just a great assistant. It saved me buckets of time. Yeah. I think yeah. I think it can generate incorrect incorrect um, information. Even in even when you're really going into sort of grammar. You know, I've sort of I've sort of called it out on some mistakes. Really, yeah, yeah. And it's even it's it's made mistakes. I think you know it. You really do have to be skilled, sort of sifting through. A lot of it can be, um, some of it can be incorrect and false, but just in terms of you know getting the legwork done, um, it's just been fantastic uh, in terms of saving a lot of time. But I do, I think, it, I think Mark said, you know, some of it, some of the writing, especially, is soulless and it's very predictable. And it, you know, you do have to sort of really go through it with a fine sort of comb and sort of make it your own, um, which is yeah. fine, which is fine by me because I think you know as long as I can get a good structure for say like a model text then i can just really go through it and just make it my own but half the work's done already so in terms of saving time it's just been fantastic also used it for um sort of putting my own sort of writing through and just sort of highlighting any grammatical errors or any any effect like you know asking it is there any sentences that are grammatically incorrect or and often i don't necessarily always agree with it but it does sort of make me think about you know um sort of sentences that I could probably change or edit or if I've used a, a punctuation, maybe ineffectively, for instance, it would just highlight it straight away. So almost like a, a peer assessment. Um, it's been quite useful as well. No, perfect. Um, Paul, you've got your up. Do you want to come in on that?
2: Sure. Look, I just want to circle back to one of the questions you asked earlier, Tom. One of the things you said is we know AI makes things up. And the technical term for that is hallucination. We know AI hallucinates. Is that an exception? Should we trust it? I wanna circle back to that because I think it's something worth dwelling on just for a moment. Um, if I was with you, Tom, uh, and I said, okay, I'm really excited to be working with you, talking with you, etc." cetera. Um, just a quick heads up, one in every 10 facts, I'm gonna tell you a false and I will give you absolutely no indication as to which one it is. Uh, and I will seem just as confident about everything. You wouldn't not trust 10% of what I said. You probably wouldn't trust anything of what I said. Now, I might still be onto it. I mean, 90% actually is gonna be right. What are you gonna do though? You're probably gonna fact check. check. And you're gonna fact check almost everything that you're gonna put significant weight on in any of your further work. And that's what I would say. That's what I say to my students. It's what I say to fellow educators, verify everything. Look, a lot of people are talking about... But then doesn't that, students... defeat,
0: does, doesn't that then defeat the object of the sort of time-saving element of it?
2: No, I'm, I'm talking basically about gathering facts and data here, okay? So we're talking about getting a quote for our essay or we're talking about getting a list of names and dates, okay? So if I wanted to generate a list of questions from a script that I've given it, it can do that really well and that's going to yeah. save me heaps of time. But I'm talking about research yeah and right a lot of a lot of people are saying well how can we get our students referencing chat gpt what are the different formats we can use and just just between us friends here i reckon they've got rocks in their head you do not want students referencing chat gpt at least as a source of information why not because it just could be wrong i say i say to the students treat it like i've told you for the last five years to treat wikipedia yes use it to get your bearings but i want you to press in deeper and get uh, peer-reviewed academic sources. Same is true for ChatGPT. Yes, it will let you get your bearings, but if there's anything in there that's worth you writing about, well, you'll find there'll be multiple attestations to that idea in many, many other places. Um, use use ChatGPT to get a thirty thousand foot view, but whenever you're going to get a fact or a quote or an idea that you're going to lean on heavily in your work, well, I'd actually like you to go elsewhere and verify
5: that as well. Mm. Uh, Mark, do you want to come in there? mark yeah sorry um i i hear what what paul is saying my my kind of doubt about that is the fact that yes the fact fact checking as teachers is is sensible is part of the job and and whether we like it or not we kind of have to have to do it um however i would say that the the like you talked about with regards to the students i would say they don't necessarily uh um know how best to research whether that's good use of time or whether that's the ability to to cross-reference things you know I, you just need to see what kind of things they'll they'll type in when you're asking them to search for something if you've ever taught you know media or, or ITT, and they can't do that very well and that that then leads to further complexities you have to then spend more time showing them how to do things that you take for granted and you think well how are they going to learn this i've got to, someone's going to teach them um and even even you know they go to wikipedia a lot which i i actually really really um endorse because it actually does have some um transparency about where the sources are but i would i would say to them all look if you're going to use wikipedia if you're going to use um any of these chat platforms or ai platforms and you're using a a source you actually have to then go to the the primary source or the, the secondary source and and check and they you know they have to be able to Learn how to do that, especially at the higher levels. But I mean, I think for, for Alessandro, it, you know, if you were asking a a year five pupil to, you know, j- justify how they got that information, that's actually asking a lot of cognitive load for them to do on top of what they've already feel like they've accomplished. And I think that is we're asking probably an appropriate amount for university college level students, but asking that of, of teenagers. I think is is really challenging, and for primary school students, is probably. And again, I'm not a primary stu- primary uh, teacher, so I, I can be I might be wrong on this, but I think that's really asking a lot. Um, and yeah. I think the one one point I wanted to say, whilst I'm very being very quick about it, is I would ask us as teachers if we were asked to be honest, and one of the parents uh, uh, said to Are us, "Are you using AI to write lessons? Are you using a- write, use AI to write reports and so on?" would you be happy to be honestly uh, admitting to that and would that make you feel like it's part of your job or would you feel like you're admitting to to cheating in some way and i, I don't have an answer but i think it's worth raising the question like, would you admit to using it and if so how would you justify it mm. very
0: interesting back to paul and then i'll go on to alessandro then to sort of reflect paul do you want to come
2: in on that Absolutely. Yeah. I actually want to echo something Mark said because I think that, you know, we have got to put it in bold and underline it. Our students and we got we get this wrong so often, I think. As educators, it's really worth us dwelling on the fact that our students are often much worse at using technology than we think they are. They're often much much worse. Now, we think they're really good because they're digital natives and they grew up with iPads and they've been alive they've never known a time without internet and never known a time without Um, their own device many of our students however they're actually really good at playing Fortnite or roblox or watching youtube videos but some of the basic ict literacy oh this is how to save a document in a folder and how to organize a folder this is how to keep a list of bookmarks in my browser some of the most basic literacy they just don't have it so what we don't want to do is assume a level of proficiency and what mark said is absolutely right Um, we need to be careful about the demands we're placing on them and we need to be really careful of thinking okay they're digital natives they'll know their way around this perhaps I can learn a few things off them often students are using things in ways that surprise us but really when it comes to AI we need to do what we do in every other area of our profession which is teach them I'm a huge believer in the fact that when we look back at the early um, 21st century it's not going to be COVID that was a big disruptor. It's actually gonna be AI. And many of our educational institutions, we're gonna be looking back and going crumbs. Did we really let AI loose for a year or two or three before we started teaching students how to use it properly? Before we had a designated curriculum about how to do the basic bits and pieces on an AI? It's gonna be a massive disruption. And I think schools, if they haven't already, they need to be finding people who are experts in this space who can show them how to teach and train their students. Because there's never been a better time to be a student, but there's also never been a worse time to be a student. And if, if your school isn't careful, a student could very easily from this point on go through their entire learning from grade in, in my school, the high school from grade seven to 12, without actually intellectually engaging with the work. And that's terrifying. The path of least resistance just got a lot easier. So all that to say is we can't assume students will a know how to use it or b know how to use it in a way that actually benefits them in their education.
0: Well, Alessandro, I'm going to ask you in a moment because um, you teach year five. So I was going to, my next question to you is going to be um, how are your students using it? Is it making them more sort of lazy, or is it is it a dangerous thing that they're starting to use? Is it a danger because it's limiting? their own challenge to themselves when it comes to learning before i ask you that though i'll give you a minute to think about your answer to that alessandro um i'm just gonna uh, give a massive shout out to our sponsor on the show tonight which is john cat educational who published professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world they deliver everywhere so even if you're in vietnam um asia uh africa south america it doesn't matter because you can pick up a John Cat book, and not only that, you can get twenty percent off your order by using the code JCTTR2324 when you go to the checkout at JohnCatBookshop.com. Um, and you can visit that website and explore their full range of titles. Um, and of course, happy reading over Christmas. So, Alessandro, how do your students use it? And is it is it you know is it starting to hinder
3: your uh, sort of teaching in any way? Um, short answer is they're not using it at all. Um, oh, right. really? Yeah, no, no, no. So obviously it wasn't clear. So I'm using it as a teacher, as an no. I
0: know, but I thought they would be using it.
3: No, at no, at, at home. I would, I would absolutely never. Uh, they need to learn how to write sentences independently first. I think, and that's the that's the whole point. I think. Um, but are they using it at home? I may. I don't know. We don't. I mean, my school personally, we don't set homework, so everything is done in the classroom independent writing is done in the classroom so like they you know if they are um it's not affecting sort of their grades or their school so you know the focus for me as a primary school teacher is to teach basic grammar to teach sentence construction to teach them to write different types of texts for different purposes and different audiences and absolutely i think ai would hinder that especially at year five level probably even into you know well into sort of key stage three um because like like we've all been saying you know the the only get out of AI what you, you know yourself personally and what you can put into it. Um, if you're using AI like, you know, um, sort of like a tool as a child with not much great, not understanding about what exactly we do, how you're using it, yeah, I think you're going to get terrible results. And yeah, I think it will hinder children's education if they are just given free reign to use it. I think we need to be, you know, asses- thinking about how we are assessing children and I think it should all, you know, if we really want to assess their writing skills, for example, you need to just stick to the traditional pen to paper um, sort of coursework, teach them how to reference. I absolutely would never reference anything from ChatGPT it's... Do you have a sort of Wikipedia-style approach to it a little bit? Or... You need to go to traditional, you know, really Google everything and look at your sources and just, you know, traditional <laughs> university <laughs> style. Al- Alessandro,
0: like... I'm, I'm just laughing at how Google's now become, like, traditional. Like, oh, you have to go all traditional and use Google. <laughs> I mean...
3: I mean, uh, even even Google is, you know, you still obviously have yeah. pitfalls. Um, no, I, get,
0: I got exactly what you were saying. Your yeah.
3: sources and everything. Yeah, because ChatGPT GPT is just can spew absolute nonsense and just make stuff up out of thin air. But I was it's going to ask you,
0: one. Alessandro, from your perspective, and I'll ask the other um, sort of speakers as well. And by the way, everybody, we've got lots of listeners. So if anybody else wants to contribute to this, you absolutely can. All you have to do is hit the little icon in the bottom left. There's a little microphone icon. So if you want to get involved in the conversation, then you can do that by just clicking that icon. Um, but Alessandro, I wanted to ask you, like without directly promoting any particular app, obviously, can you can you sort of tell, do you use one particular app or do you use a range of apps? And, you know, where do you go with that side of things? Do you use ChatGPT?
3: Yeah, I genuinely just use ChatGPT and um, sort of just, yeah, experiment with ChatGPT. Um, yeah. Mainly, yeah just yeah. because it's free got my login and it's quite easy to access at school so yeah just, just chat GPT. and just to go back to would i would i admit to ch- using it yeah i think i absolutely would uh, admit to it to parents yeah, uh, yeah, just Before- just for anyone
0: joining us now, we've put a question. In fact, um, Nathan's behind the scenes; he can probably pin it um, in here. But I think the question, which was a very interesting one, would you admit to using an AI to do your planning to a parent at parents' evening, for example, or at any other time? And you're saying you would. Alessandro? I would.
3: I would because I think we're under a lot of pressure as teachers, but a lot of the staff in my school that I work at, they just won't use. They they won't even. Uh, entertain the idea of chat gpt because they just don't know how to use it so it is a skill to use chat gpt like paul mark was saying the the skill of your prompts the skill of your sort of how you manipulate it how you sort of prime chat gpt how you then use what it's been given to you is the skill so you can't you can't just yeah lazy prompts will give you rubbish answers and then what you do with what it produces as well is key you have to sort of analyze that and twist that as well it's not the job is not um, finished. It's not like a magic button. It's a tool. It is a time saver. It can generate great results for you. Um, it's, it's just you know, it's just another tool in the toolbox, really. For me, Alessandro, can I can I ask you what's your most common prompt that you put into Chat GPT? Well, co- most common prompt. So it's it, you know. So as I said, so I would just I would ask it what. Um, so my, re- my re- most recent prompt was. What are the what are features of a persuasive speech? With, I was writing a persuasive speech. I'd ask, yeah. what what are the features of a non-chronological report, or what should I be looking for? And then I would sort of um, that would sort of prime it, and I then I would sort of then then go sort of yeah, like um, Paul or, Mark, or I think Paul said, give it a three-stage um, sort of attack. Yeah, that was
0: great. Yeah. So
3: you prime it, and then you get some information, and then you either you have to address some sort of misconception or redo your prompt if it wasn't um, accurate enough once you've primed it the right way then you can give it a more specific prompt and generally it has just been for producing sort of these sort of model texts that I've then been um, sort of heavily editing as I said.
0: Yeah yeah Um, we'll bring Paul in and then um, Scott's called in as well so Paul do you
2: want to sort of add something to that? Sure, yeah. One of the nuances I'd add there, Tom, and I agree with Alessandro, but one of the nuances I'd add is when I'm talking with parents, and I have talked with many parents, because as you mentioned earlier, I'm not just using AI in my practice. I'm actually building an education-specific AI for teachers. So I get a lot of questions um, about AI use. One of the interesting things I think you want to do, just from a simple tactical level, you want to say, all right, have you got 10 minutes to discuss this? because a lot, of pe- a lot of parents out there are going to think that AI is for cheating and you are a cheater if you use it. And so I'm not interested in having a 30-second conversation where they leave with a massive misconception of what I'm doing with their student in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a big picture view of this, I think, people are used to teachers being under-resourced and underfunded. I guarantee you, if you go to Parliament House and you hear a politician give a speech, no one is gonna go up and give that politician a hard time saying, oh, I bet one of your aides, I bet one of your assistants drafted that. They're gonna go, yeah, of course, I'm a very okay. busy person. No one ever yeah. goes to a lawyer and said, oh, thanks for writing my will, but I bet you used a pro forma. You know, well, of course I use a pro forma, that's just, that's just best practice. And so people, uh, people, I don't know what it is, subconsciously they just wanna give teachers a hard time But suddenly, if we were to have an aid, and that's why I've called my AI for teachers, my teacher aid, if we were to have an aid, um, people need to be educated about actually for many professions, it's very normal. You've got a doctor, a lawyer, you've got a politician, they have aids. And we don't doubt the veracity or authenticity of their work. So now with the age of AI, well, actually, teachers can graduate into the um, cohort of professionals who get an aid as well. Just like with lawyers or politicians, anything that you put out, you have to stand behind and say, I am happy with this work, okay? A politician isn't able to blame his staffer because his speech didn't come off right because he's still in charge. And same with a teacher, they're still in charge. But the last thing I'll say on whether or not sort of it's, it's ethical for teachers to use AI and would you defend it to a parent? One of the things I would also say is, look, what do you actually want me to do, dear parent? What do you actually want me to do? Do you want me to stay up all night creating customised, bespoke resources so that I actually don't get enough sleep? And then i work on my weekends and evenings and holidays. So I'm pretty strung out by the time I get to the class. And so I don't have the mental energy or capacity to engage in a deep and meaningful way with the students. I'd say, actually, my job is to get your students to learn. It's not my job to create custom bespoke resources anything i use whether it's from a textbook whether it's from a resource bank or whether i've got it from uh ai or perhaps i made the whole curry from spices myself and generated it all myself by hand um no matter which one of those categories i'm getting my resources from actually what i want you to be thinking about parent is is my student learning i want that to be the benchmark don't worry about where i'm getting my resources Mm. from is your student learning are they getting better at the things that we want them to be getting better at? Are they developing as a person? That's the metric that I think I, I want to be pushing parents and carers towards.
0: Yeah, really interesting. Um, I'll bring Scott in. Scott, do you have any? Thanks for listening. Do you have any sort of thoughts on any of this?
4: Yeah, the thing's really interesting. Um, just a, thanks for having me, Tom, and nice to speak to you again. No. Uh, so for me, it's just the. A lot of the time when I was working in Dubai, the, the the big focus there in the Middle East was really around digital literacy and getting students to really understand the skills that need to be to to access. Um, a lot of the work and one of the big pushes over there was um gamification so really looking at like how to use games mm. and development of digital literacy as a, as a way of support and learning and it worked really really effectively because the kids had the skills to be able to do but it was implicitly taught um and i think for us uh, particularly in the uk i don't think we're there yet in terms of the level of skills that students need to actually be able to access this in a, in a meaningful way but also to be able to to question what they are um or being given by the ai generators mm. um But on the other hand, I've found in terms of supporting myself, in terms of a sort of admin role, um, that in terms of send support and producing um resources for things like um, supporting children with ASD or selective mutant, mutism, um, providing fact sheets for parents to basically say, this is how to support your child best at home. It's been really invaluable for me because it's been able to draw on quite a, a large amount of information, collate that and put it into a format that's really, really useful. Something that might take me a couple of hours is done within a couple of minutes. Um, whereas at the same time, if I go, right so i'm going to try and make a, a lesson on this or some resources i found that the what comes out the other end it may be to do with the um the directions that i'm given in terms of ai but it, it's not nuanced enough or focused enough to give like quality answers or quality information uh, i think it is really really useful but it is about using it in the way that really benefits ourselves and realizing not going to do all the jobs for us
0: yeah, Scott, I don't know if you heard Paul like at the beginning. I don't know if you were there at the, right at the beginning, but he was talking about his like three-step approach, which I'll be honest, I, didn't, I don't use when I use AI. Um, Paul, do you want to sort of remind us what that was just really briefly,
2: the three things? Absolutely. Look, it, it's really simple. There are more complex ways out there, but this is the way that I use. It's the way I teach my students and I teach parents and carers to use. It's, it's the RTF. Role, give it a role. What do you want it to do? What's it acting as? Uh, in the example I gave was act as a year nine history teacher. After the role, you want to give it a task. So you think, what do I actually want it to do here? And again, it could be um, create a lesson plan, create a quiz, differentiate a text, any of these sorts of things. And then I'd also be looking at format. So that's where you'd, you'd say, I'd like it in a table. I'd like it in a grid. I'd like it in dot points with headings, or I'd like it in a five E's lesson planning um, system, or I'd like it in the five minute lesson plan system so it's a role task format and again what what you're doing there is just hoping that ai um you, you're not playing guess what's in my head with the ai mm, you're actually mm. giving it as, a, a good amount of information so it can give you a good specific output
0: scott i don't know whether because for me i missed i miss a lot of that um sort of prime in stuff like the giving it the role and sort of you know it's like give me a lesson plan on x rather than sort of yeah giving it a role first and giving it sort of more primes does that make sense but i don't yeah. know whether you do that already
4: yeah. yeah i think in terms of the sort of um the, the send support that we've been using so we have been saying like um i want you to write me an information sheet um for parents of child who's got asd giving them um basically prompts or information on how to best support the child so where I've been doing that it's been working really quite well and I've coming off the other end going this is fantastic whereas where I've tried to give some prompts in terms of um let's look at sort of plan a lesson or put an information sheet together at the end I've looked at it and thought my good god I should have just done that myself um and I think it is yeah like you said I need to think a lot more about what prompts are being put in place to support the best outcomes for those mm. sorts of resources mm.
0: um uh, Paul I'll come back to you in a minute um, Mark I want to come to you next on sort of we're moving into the final bits now and I'm going to ask everybody this but um, what do you think the future is Mark When it, and when I say the future I mean the near future I mean in the next year or two potentially um, and Mark I don't know whether you've got any thoughts on this in terms of where you think this is all going and how far advanced
5: you think it's going to get in the next year or two and how it might be used in education. Um, well, I guess one of the one of the things that I first saw with regards to AI was that when I I used to work in the media and decided to become a teacher, so I was a, a kind of late career changer. Um, and one of the things I did as a kind of sense check was search for what industries are most likely to get replaced by robots. And fortunately, teaching came very close to the bottom. Um, so that well, that's great. That's that means there's a future in it for me. Whereas what I was doing, which is sort of ad sales was quite near the top, um, which proved to be quite well, accurate. But I think the um, the concerns I would have are that in the same way that, let's say, many of your, your listeners might be too young to remember when a teacher would wheel in a TV and a, and a VHS player and play a video, you know, yeah, it's, near, yeah. it's the end of term now, let's watch, you know, a Disney film or whatever. And that was fine. That's pretty harmless. But there has been stories in the past of teachers putting on the the wrong video, or there's someone's written, you know, recorded something inappropriate over the video, and they've played it, you know, unexpectedly and got into trouble and lost their job, and and there've been problems, right? Yeah. The same has happened with AI in in journalism. I mean, people. I think it was the CEO of um, Sports Illustrated had to resign because he'd allowed uh, essentially AI produced content to be published that nobody, no journalist had actually written. Um, and I think it was the same in Germany. There was a, yeah. a writer who did an interview purportedly with um, Michael Schumacher, who, as many of you will know, has been suffering a sort of life-changing head injury. Yeah, um, And it was all AI generated. And again, he they, they lost their job because it was um, essentially immoral. And I think the, the yeah. worry I have is that there are inevitably, across the, the, the spectrum of teachers, some who are going to jump feet first into it and are going to do themselves no favours and potentially put their professional careers at risk, um, but equally as dangerously, you know, direct children and pupils into thinking the wrong thing or or what have you. And and there's plenty of, there's enough misconceptions out there about the world itself uh, without making that worse. So my worry is in the short term, there is going to be this continued blurring of the lines between fact and, and fiction, or as, as, as Paul quite nicely said, I think it was, um, uh, I what is was um not hypnosis my mind's gone blank sorry but, yeah the the delusion or, or what have you so there's there's this aspect where we don't know the lines of that and we're telling that to children and and teachers are in a position of authority where children will believe whatever you say in most cases Um, even if you tell them something you know to be false if you say it in the right way they will take that as as you know gospel so we have to be very very, very careful about that and I I do think though that the AI will inevitably improve because the more people talk about it and the more content that is produced on the web, in, especially by us as, as educators, if people out here have, have got blogs and have got you know, radio shows like, like yourself, then that content is going into the ether. And that is where AI is finding that content. So if the, if the input is sound, the output will be better. So there has to be guardrails to ensure that somebody, whoever is writing the code that says this can be trusted and this can't, there has to be some guardrails to say that that are written by people who have, you know, got no, no agenda. But then you need watchmen of some kind to say this person can be trusted to do that job. So there's so many layers of of security needed to make sure we avoid what could potentially be harmless or what could potentially be particularly damaging um, use of the technology. And I think that, that because there is so much uncertainty, we know that the EU are currently um, convening. A lot of high-level discussions about the limits to that, and I think Italy are particularly concerned. Um, I'm not particularly sure why they are more concerned than others. Um, I know that in Germany there is an extremely um, deep-seated sensitivity about the collection of data. Mm. Um, for those history teachers, you may well understand why. Um, and so those those issues that are nation-specific, let's say, might not be accounted for when it comes to just filling the the, the hopper with information. Um, So because it's such a broad issue and it actually relates quite nicely as a microcosm of the internet as a whole, and we have to be very conscious of what we put out on the internet for both our professional um, careers, but also what is ethical, what is um, correct, what is factually provable, um, it is a bit of a minefield. And I I feel like as teachers, our, our our focus has to be on what is right for the student. And if what's right for the student is to say don't use it then then that's what we have to say and if it's right for some students to say use it with caution then fine but we are asking professionals to make a professional judgment where they may not be have the experience the personal experience to be able to make a fair judgment um and that is asking for trouble you know asking me to to you know diagnose a student with a learning disability is is probably not uh, going to be as as effective as a as a as a senco um and in the same way asking me to tell you whether or not to use ai is as someone who, who's dabbled in it and seen positive and negative outputs you know it's you might as well ask anybody else to some extent because it is so new and there is so much complexity that you you know the the experts are probably also not in the areas of education where there's comparatively little income to be made they're probably in in um you know defense contract or something so again it's it's a lot of uncertainty in the short term in the long term there's probably of those of those names of of the platforms. some of them are going to be shaken out as, as not being particularly good and left by the wayside um and we'll end up with you know some of the bigger brands you know you mentioned being google bard as well so those mm-hmm. kind of bigger brands will have more yeah. robust technology um and and maybe it'll be suitable for us maybe not um we should see but it's yeah i would I, I would be my advice would be really um, test it out for yourself, proceed with caution, you know ask the students to at, at certain age levels obviously, to try it out and and feedback on what they found, and get them even looking for problems, look at like as you would with with any other kind of critical thinking, asking students to be thoughtful about what, how they're using it, assume it's wrong until they can prove it's correct. Um, and then take it from there, really, and 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 not think that it's going to replace our jobs. Thankfully, um, but be cognizant that it may be able to do some of the stuff that we find challenging. Um, and my my final point, and it's a kind of rambling answer, but it might be isn't quite right no, for the no, podcast. But my my final point is, I think that there are certain things that AI will never be able to do um, to an to a way that we're happy with, which is write songs, as Nick K found out, uh, to to produce art to you know, to admire a sunset, to, whatever. Those kind of things it can't do. And unfortunately, at the moment, AI is is trying, or the, the the manufacturers, the designers, the coders, are trying to make it produce art, produce poetry, produce songs, which is pointless. And the reality is they need to direct their work in, into making things that we do that are repetitive and tedious into easier things. If that's, for example, creating an AI that, that you know, predicts what you're going to need to put on your shopping list, and filling your online you know tesco cart or something those kind of things are actually practical benefits that will save us time in different ways and don't um, damage the careers of the creative industries that i think are really feeling the the kind of uh, impact of ai as much as we are mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. thank you mark that was fantastic we've got another mark uh, coming in and i'll i'll go to to that mark next um and then obviously i'll go to paul and ask paul about the future of AI. Maybe Maybe Scott's got some thoughts on that as well. Um, so, Mark, can you hear us okay? If you want to unmute bottom left on your screen, hopefully, maybe. Mark, A. Hey. Mm, out there? No. Nope. No, we can't hear. Can anyone hear Mark? I can't hear Mark. Can anyone else hear him? I don't know. I don't know. Can anyone hear me? <laughs> we can still hear you, Tom. Uh, can anyone hear Mark? Uh,
4: no, not right. mind.
0: Mark, do you want to try re-entering if you can? Um, just just try exiting and and coming back if you can. Um, maybe come out of the Twit, uh, the X app, I should call it, and then um, come back in, and hopefully we can connect you up because I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this. Um, it'd be fantastic to hear that. Um, Paul, do you do you while we're well, we'll wait, hopefully waiting for Mark to come back? Do you have any thoughts on the future of AI? What I'm particularly interested in is. What will AI be able to do in the next year or two that it is not able to do now?
2: Yeah, look, that's a really exciting question, and unfortunately, I've actually left my crystal ball at home, Tom. So I, I don't, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you all. Well, right let's let's is, do some is, let's do
0: some predictions, right? I, let, me I predict, let me predict. Let me predict. And what I mean by this is, I mean like open access to everybody, sort of stuff. Like, yep, I mean. Stuff that anyone will be able to do, not just like a select few or whatever, right? Um, so what will I, you know, one of the things that I think is like Chat GPT Pro now, because someone mentioned it, like the paid version of Chat GPT can already do more, can't it? You can use images and all this other stuff, right? So I'm just wondering whether that will become more widespread. Maybe the use of video will become more widespread. Yes. Um, maybe the use of you know, I don't know whether. Um, I mean, in I sort of in my sort of weird imagination, um, I do sort of imagine that at some point there will be like a chip that you, uh, you know, like um, what was that yes. movie? I think it had Tom Cruise on it, where you put something on the side of your head and it reads your brain. It so like it's what you're thinking or what your what your brain's doing. Like I know at some point that's going to happen, and then it will like attach to your head. And like then it'll be plugged into AI, which will then know what you're thinking before you even input a prompt in. So it'll be like here's the answer to the question you've just thought of. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Maybe I'm being a freak there, but that's sort of where I think it might go. Well look,
2: it's not even it's not even that it might go there, Tom. In some places it has go gone there. So one of my best friends has motor neuron disease and he's now unable to speak and one of the things he's really excited about is he has a really laborious way of communicating where he uses his eyes to signal on an ipad and one of the things he can uh, he's seen is actually there is some research being done in the states where people are able to implant something right into their brain and it then is able to leverage ai so they can communicate in a way that's um, far more frictionless than the slow laborious process so look there's absolutely no doubt in my mind we get there so let me tell you one or two ideas about where this tech might go and then I'll tell you how I think schools can navigate it well and then I'm going to go to my morning staff meeting so um, let me start off by saying I think we're going to see some fantastic text to video I think that's really really going to improve Um, my good friend Jacob Skirka he actually co-founded my teacher aide with me. He's in the chat. He's been listening the whole time. Yeah. Uh, he and I had a conversation a while back where we said, I reckon what's going to happen, not just to music, uh, not just to text, but to movies and to TV shows, is people are going to be able to say, I like Friends, I like Seinfeld, and I like Scrubs. Um, and the there will be an AI out there that will be able to generate endless content That is the cream of the crop of all that sort of stuff. Now, do I think that's good? Is that going to lead to social cohesion and human flourishing? Probably not, but I'm almost certain we'll be there in 12 months. Yeah. Um, And now when it comes to schools, Tom, one thing I would say is, and I mentioned this earlier, it's a controversial take, but I think it's absolutely right. The big disruption of the first part of the 20th century will not have been COVID when we look back through the lens of time. It will actually be artificial intelligence. Now, there are a lot of people when it came to COVID, they simply their schools weren't ready for distance learning. They weren't ready. They were so far behind. They didn't have an online learning management system. People were still using teacher chronicles. Everything was pen and paper. So what did they do to get ready for online learning? They shut everything down for two or three days. At least that's what we did in Australia. They shut everything down for two or three days and they got ready. Now, I think, again, as we look back, the same schools. What is a sane response to AI? A proportionate response to AI? I would argue, it is shutting everything down for three to four days, and mm. quickly, rapidly upskilling. Again, this is a bigger disruptor than COVID. So, what do we need to do? Well, we, we need to actually treat it as a matter of first importance. You want an AI to lockdown? Our teachers, you want an oh, AI yeah, lockdown? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I want to, at least to prepare for the AI world. The world has changed in the yeah. last 12 months. We are not teaching in the same world that we were. And mm. if we're gonna actually steward our students' education well, well, we need to rapidly um, change yes. the way that we're thinking about teaching and, and, and thinking about our students.
0: Got you. Um, Mark, hopefully we can hear you now. If you were mute, bottom left. Mark A, are you there? Maybe we're not going to be able to get mark on. I don't know what's going on there um we'll go to uh, we'll go uh, what i what I was sort of gonna to touch on next was about um just to sort of finish off we've got about ten minutes um hopefully left um Mark'll have one more go Mark's come back Mark are you there? Unmute bottom left can
6: can oh, you can oh, you hear hello. me Tom?
0: Yes, I can. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Who'd have thought
6: it, eh? Someone who can use some technology, you can't actually get an easy <laughs> microphones to <work>. Well listen. <laughs> um
0: before I ask you anything about AI, yeah. Um you're a very lucky man. Do you know why? Is that, um... because your publisher um supports Teachers Taught Radio, which which means that I can mention your upcoming book with John Camp. It does indeed Ed Tech Playbook.
6: Yes. I'm um very excited. When is that coming out? Um, Unfortunately, just after that. Um, So we're looking at sort of uh, tail end of March, beginning of April. Okay. Wonderful. And
0: will that have anything in it that relates to this discussion?
6: Yeah. No. I, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's a, it's a playbook which um, has got chapters on how we can think about using technology in lots of different ways, all sort of reinforced by like you know me Tom, uh, so purposeful ways of using technology rather than sort of gimmicky ways. There's a chapter on feedback, feedback, a chapter on questioning, a chapter on all all manner of different things. Um, But there is definitely a chapter on AI. Um, I was reticent to put it in there at one point though, because it's such a fast paced and fast moving thing. But if listening to the show this evening has has reinforced anything, it was a right decision to have a chapter in there on AI. Whilst it's fast paced and fast moving, lots of the things that people have been talking about tonight, like Mark, for example, uh, uh, same with um, Scott as well. Um, it's it's been the reinforcement of this idea that it's really important that we actually go back to basics in many ways uh, around not just digital literacy, but things like literacy, the ability to actually, you know, write uh, the, the prompt craft is, is, is a phrase which is new um, in, in the uh, OED um, but um, it, it's something that's so important and that, that ability to be able to write decent questions to to uh, probe and to think really carefully about your writing to get the best out of uh, these sort of text-driven interfaces it's really important and it's also given um, some credence to the different ways of thinking as well we heard from Paul before about different ways of assessing students so if a student assesses something and and you have concerns and worries over whether it might be because like Paul said you know you do know your students right if you've got any concerns over things that children might have created using AI we'll, we'll have that question you know talk to them about it probe dig deeper um and it opens up opportunities to think about assessment in different ways doesn't it so yeah it's, it's really really exciting uh and um I could talk for another half an hour on all this stuff but I know your time's tight uh, Tom so um I would sorry let I me mean, go on very confident.
0: If I was to ask you,
6: because
0: you're very much on the sort of hub of, you know, technology and so on. What What's your biggest excitement over it and your biggest worry over
6: it? Um... My biggest excitement, right, I love technology for the opportunities that it provides because it allows us to do things that wouldn't be possible without the technology. Uh, I think the year five teacher, whose name I've unfortunately forgotten now, uh, Alessandro, I can see him here now. Alessandro. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the way that um, he was saying about using like a guide on the side as an assistant, I think is the absolute perfect way of thinking about it because it makes us more. It's not about taking what it gives us and just copying and pasting that lesson plan that is created for you and just ta-da. And Dougie Brown, it does save you plenty, plenty of time. But uh, I think it was um, uh, Paul who was saying before, um, you know, let it take you some way down the journey don't let it try and do all of it for you because then it becomes a real time drain and if you're trying to get perfection out of these things out of these tools you could be using whether it's bard or chat GPT or claude or perplexity or whatever there's many 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 of them to choose from but you're never going to get something that's perfect well, what it will do is it will get you three-fifths of the way down that journey and stop at three-fifths of the way down um, and, and then take it and, and run with it from there. My biggest sort of worry, um, I, I worry an awful lot about safeguarding. You know, firstly, students shouldn't be using this technology in school at all, really. And if, if you are allowing students to use it, then at least use a safe walled mm-hmm. garden version. I mean, there's a great tool out of South Africa called MindJoy, um, where um, okay. it's, it's sort of covered off by um, and, and again, i put my hand up, No, you know, there's, there's no um, affiliation with me or anything like that, I think it's a really good tool. Um, but the the reason why we, we shouldn't be using things like BARD and and ChatGPT and what have you, is that, is that these tools learn from what we enter into it. And so with a data protection impact assessment sort of on, you shouldn't be using these tools for those particular purposes. But things like Mindjoy um, are a safe wall garden where students can interact with historical figures or um, i I programmed some with specific sections from exam syllabuses and they can act as like specific tutors and, and this is where you can have some really interesting things. Bloom's two sigma problem says the children who are tutored can achieve up to two grades more than their peers who aren't given extra tutoring. Uh, on a one to one basis, what well, AI chatbots can really help with that. Um, so there's loads and loads in there, but I do worry about teachers who don't consider things like safeguarding, those teachers who might put students' names in it to uh, try and get it to perform some sort of statistical analysis on uh, exam grades or class progress or whatever it is. You know, we, we, we should always be really careful about how we. I was strongly to all listeners if you're going to start thinking about using these sorts of tools in this sort of way run it past your school data protection officer just to make sure that it's acceptable for you to be using you know um, student data in this sort of way with the platforms you've got access to um, but you can always anonymise this stuff though so it can be, you know, again it can be really really helpful but you've got to go those extra sort of steps just to anonymize it to make sure that you're not putting you know, sensitive data on there that you shouldn't otherwise be so yeah the, 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 my biggest um, concern is about teachers using this stuff inappropriately in ways that they might not realize they shouldn't be doing, you know? But um, yeah. so governments have been clear, they've said AI shouldn't be used in that sort of a way. Um, it it cross references straight back into uh, KICSI, the Keeping Children Safe in Education document. So um, just be careful before you start. Um, Putting personal data um around your students your pupils or your colleagues or your families communities all these sort of things onto these platforms and i'll finish off because i'm 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 gonna, i'm on a roll like like toilet paper tom on a roll um, i loved um i love paul's little um sort of short way of going about getting good results with yeah the, uh, i did. read and oh, What have you in a format? Um, But something I found really useful, and I've got my own little framework I call the STAIR framework, but I won't go on about that. I'll give it a much easier thing to do, right? So, thinking about um, uh, Scott, for example, who was talking about um, getting ready to write reports. Uh, um, around um, supporting students with uh, additional needs, or whether it was Mark in his um, reports and all these different things, ask whichever tool you're using, whether it's Bard or ChatGPT, what do you need to learn from me in order to get the best result from what I'm trying to get you to do? So, if I wanted to, um, like, I don't know, write a, rep- a bunch of student reports for me, what do you need to know from me? Do you what do you, do you need to know? The age of the students, what they've been studying, what? Give me everything mm. and then you feed in everything that. That platform needs to know yeah. in order to give you the best response. You said to me one of the things you forget, that Tom. what he said to me, but he said in the show, um, it, it's, it's I, I forget to what to actually add into the prompt in order to get yeah. the best result out of it. Well, I, I use the word
0: prime. I, I forget to do the prime bit, which you know actually from doing this tonight has made me realise that a bit more.
6: Yeah, so with that, Tom, if you just um ask it what it needs from you in order to get get the best results, it will tell you, feed good. that in. And then and, and that's a great approach that you can apply to absolutely anything when you're using these platforms, because by doing that, you're you're gonna get give it exactly the information it needs to give you the best result
0: yeah no absolutely um mark that was amazing thanks ever <laughs> so much for, for calling in there that's yeah, all right no great great show this
6: evening and thanks to uh, mark alessandro and paul and others who've jumped in and said and shared on it's been really interesting so thanks for putting this together cheers
0: Brilliant! Cheers. Um, yeah, it's it's been been absolutely fascinating. So, um, a huge thanks, um, to Mark Wilson who's who's joined us tonight, um, Alessandro Leone who's joined us tonight, uh, Mark who's who's just joined us, and of course Paul Williams as well. Um, it's been a really fascinating show. I mean, again, this is probably something I'll revisit maybe, and because I think Mark just mentioned that the pace of change is going to be so so much that actually. In four to six months' time, it'll probably be probably be another uh, sort of. Here's the latest amalgamation. What do we think of it? How have we used it? What do we make of it? Um, I think one of the best things about tonight is hearing from teachers as well who, who are using it, and the likes of Alessandro, the likes of Mark, um, to to hear what they how they're actually using it in the classroom. Um, big thanks to everybody for listening along tonight on Teachers Talk Radio. If you want a bit more TTR, our amazing host Ray. Who is absolutely fantastic is over on Teachers Talk Radio on the website right now. She's live um, and uh, she's talking about independent learning and how difficult that is, how easy it is to say, but how difficult it is to actually achieve. That's live on the TTR website. You can just click listen live on the top bar um, to listen to that now. Um, on the website so that's uh, something to, to listen to now of course this and any other show that you hear on ttr will be available as a podcast uh just follow us wherever you get your podcast from spotify apple podcasts um, wherever it is give us a follow subscribe um, give us a review um, if you sort of like what you hear that that would be obviously much appreciated as well um we really really appreciate everybody listening um and especially as we achieved 1 million downloads which was really exciting and something that well certainly i didn't expect us to achieve so that that's amazing um so thanks very much for listening everybody and um yeah i'll i'll be back after christmas now this was the, my last hurrah before uh, before christmas so just to wish everybody a good break i hope you rest up and uh, i'll be back on the monday after new year uh, oh no sorry the second monday after new year with another show so thanks very much for listening and speak again soon
1: you've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from